This episode is brought to you by Premier Ridge Capital. Your path to financial freedom and stability through multifamily syndications begins with Premier Ridge Capital. Visit our website at www.premierridgecapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and get your free ebook today. Learn the secrets of multifamily investing and how Premier Ridge Capital can be your partner in achieving financial peace of mind. And in this episode here, I have Chris Bounds. Chris is a full-time real estate investor out of Texas and a top one-third of a percent growth leader at EXP Realty. That's a big company. My wife is a realtor there as well. With more than $88 million in real estate sales with his wife, Jamie, Chris has used an excess of $19 million of private money lenders and equity partners to buy and flip 200 real estate properties Together, they have $70 million in assets under management, including close to 400 single families and multifamily units. Sir, thank you very much for being here, brother. Really, really appreciate you taking the time, sharing with the audience, and let's get right into it. Um, I know that usually I don't do enough justice when I'm introducing someone on my podcast, so go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself, Chris. Um, Let's start there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you. You did a pretty good job hitting on the head. I mean, ultimately, you know, my wife and I, we, we were flipping houses, uh, ended up flipping around 200 houses, um, including the, 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 the ones we kept, like the single family properties we kept. Um, ultimately realized that, Hey, that wasn't really building the uh, wealth of passive income that, uh, that, that we desired. So, uh, flipping is a great way to make money, just like wholesaling, just like a job, just like uh, being a realtor. Um, but once you sell the house, you got to do it again and again and yep. again, and, um, just a lot of work. So we started transitioning to, uh, more of a hold model in 2018. It took <laughs> some time to, to break that machine down, uh, that flipping machine down into a hold model. <laughs> then, um, COVID happened and it really just provided an opportunity for us to, uh, really go all in on, on holding assets. Uh, so we completely shut down flipping in 2020, started um, really building them the foundations of what we're doing now, which is, is fund management and multifamily investing um, at, at scale. So we've got a hundred million dollar fund and we're, uh, we're looking to uh, really, really just tear up these next couple of years with uh, acquisitions. Outstanding brother. I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, a question that that kind of kind of irks me a bit, right? Um, you know, I have a lot of guys coming on this come that come on my podcast, and a lot of guys are really successful people, just like yourself. A lot of successful large multifamily investors, and I talk to a lot of a lot of uh, big, you know, big investors are in my masterminds and in the circles I traveled. And something I realized recently that happened to me was I was talking to someone, and they were kind of. Poo-pooing on 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 flipping houses, like oh, I don't do that anymore, and and it kind of really annoyed me. I realized that it annoys me. I still flip. Um, I do both. I have I have a size of a, a small portfolio of rentals, and I still flip. And it, it's kind of it, it kind of really annoys me when I hear people say like, hey, I don't flip anymore. Or, I don't. That's you know that's not for me anymore. Or just kind of poo-poo on it. What is your take on that? When people, you know, you started your career, you've made the chunks of money. You know those the, those large chunks of money flipping right, and then you realize you graduated into something else. But I didn't hear that in your tone of like flipping is this or flipping is that. What's your take on that? How do you feel about that? 
Yeah, I mean, really, it just comes from self-reflection on your goals and are the activities aligning with those goals and are they, is it helping you get to where you want to be? And ultimately, from the very beginning, my goal and my wife's goal with real estate is build wealth and build passive income. And we actually started doing that. Our first few properties, we I, I thought they were going to be flipped, but they weren't. We held them as rentals. And then we did a flip here or there. And then when I went full time, like we had to flip because I mean, you can't eat off $200 a month from a rental. So yeah, flipping became the, the job. It's just for us, we realized we built this machine that was flipping 20, 30, close to 40 houses a, a, a year that it was a giant cash eating monster that required a lot of time and energy and, and at times stress. Um, like it's fun, but there's a lot of stress that goes along with managing people, managing projects. And then every once in a while, you get a project where, hey, you thought you're going to make 30, but you're going to lose 25. Mm. Um, so we just really had some self-reflection on, hey, look, is what we built, is that really what we're trying to get out of this? Is that is this really aligning with our goals? And the answer to that was no. Now, it did serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. We learned real estate. We learned sales. We learned management. And we also learned the things that we're good at, things we're not good at, things we like, things we don't like. But at the end of the day, at scale, flipping was not the business that was truly going to provide uh, and help us achieve our goals. So it's not that flipping's bad. It's not the whole set. Having a job full-time, 40 hours a week, and doing that your whole life, there's nothing wrong with it at all. And matter of fact, for most people, that's better than owning your own business because owning your own business, it takes a certain breed to be able to handle that. And I even tell folks like, look, you can buy one house a year, keep your job, buy one house a year, do that for 10, 15 years. You're, you're a multimillionaire. Plus your four hundred one k and all that stuff you got, you're a multimillionaire, and, and you're probably going to end up having a much stress free life than those who try to do this full time because you've got dedicated and you got dependable W two income. So it's just for us, we really uh, realized that hey, we're not building wealth and passive income because we had to keep going on this hamster wheel, finding new properties and selling them, finding new properties and selling them, and uh, we just really wanted to figure out hey. What's a way, can we change this machine to hold more of them? And then if we can, let's start going to where maybe we can hold them long-term. And then I'll end with this. Ultimately, what we what, what I thought of, and now we transitioned to more multifamily, but um, it's, it's the same concept. With single family, I was like, hey, look, what if instead of flipping over three to six months, what if I flipped over three to five years? Because our we were looking at the, our biggest deals. Our biggest deals were always rentals. Why is that? Because when you're buying for short term, everything must go right. You got to get your ARV right. You have to get your, uh, your, your construction budget right. You get your timing right. Like how long is this thing going to take you to sell it? Um, all that. And, and then of course, you actually have to sell it at the price you want. If you get any of those wrong, your margins get hit. If you get two of those things wrong, or, or maybe uh, three, you lose money. Done, yeah. and it's just you're, you're threading a needle. And um, th- that's why you have to buy at huge discounts. But we realized like, hey, look, if we just buy the property and rent it out, and then maybe sell it three to five years down the road, I call it the slow flip, pro- um, um, the, the, the slow flip process. So 
if you flip it over years, then you allow all these other economics to factor in. You allow appreciation. You get depreciation on your taxes. Uh, it's a long-term capital gain. So at that point, it's a, it's a, it's a lower tax basis. Um, you get a little bit of equity pay down, um, or debt pay down. That's fairly insignificant. Um, and then of course you get the cash flow over those years. So, uh, initially that was our idea. Hey, look, let's just flip these things over three to five years. And then we just shut it off in 2020 and we're like, Hey, let's go all in on holding assets. Got it. So. I got a couple. This is loaded, loaded question for you here. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of information you gave us there. So, how does one transition from from being a flipper, right, to having that, you know, that hey, you need this income to pay for your expenses, right, or to to eat, to live, to transition to a full time. Uh, owning multifamily, or as you said, you own some single families as well. How does one transition from that? Yeah, I mean, depending on how you're you're set up, and it it, it can be easier or complicated. Uh, for us, initially, it was complicated because we had a team. But once we started, uh, you know, getting leaner on that, it became easier. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's like uh, flip three houses, keep one. Flip five houses, keep one. Um, so if you can make that work, then it becomes pretty easy because at the end of the day, when you look back 10 years from now, guarantee anyone you ask in real estate, you can look back 10 years from now, which number are you going to be happier with? Hey, I flipped 150 properties or the 20 you kept, the 50 you kept, I guarantee it's going to be the ones you kept. Um, so if you can find a way to, I mean, you got to flip, you got to keep the operations going. You got to pay for payroll and marketing and stuff, but just find a way to keep one. And it only takes one a year. If you keep one a year and you do that for five, 10 years, you're a multimillionaire. You That's just right. have to let your tenants pay them off. That's right. That's right. So Chris, look, you're doing some big things, brother. I mean, you're an achiever. You and your wife are both high achievers. And that's amazing. I love that. I love having people like you on here. However, the thing about us high achievers is that a lot of people can't relate to us, right? You have a hundred million dollars in assets <laughs> under management. Like, holy crap, that's a big number, right? For the average person. It actually just went down. We 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 sold our our largest asset, so it went down pretty sharply. Um, but I mean, we got cash. But uh... <laughs> but even still, let's say you have fifty million assets under management. Yeah. Still, a lot of, still a lot. Like average person cannot connect with that, right? Talk to me about the man. Talk to me about the human being. Talk to me about your story. Talk to us about how you, how does a regular guy, because at the end, we're regular people like everyone else. You're just a regular guy like anyone else, right? Tell me about that. How does Chris, I, I, I what you didn't tell us yet is that you're also a pilot, right? You're, you're, you're a. You're, I've, I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't flown in a while, but I, I do have the license. It never expires. So, so you're also a pilot, right? So tell us about the human being. I want to know about Chris. I want to know about, hey, how did Chris get to. You know, Chris didn't wake up and and had fifty million in, in assets under manager, or hundred million assets under management. Tell us about that. Tell us about your family. How do you balance all that? Yeah, and it, and and it it is a problem when folks look at someone's chapter thirteen um, and compare it to their chapter two. Yep. Um, so we all have a thing like 
uh, it, it'd be foolish for any one of us to go kind of compare ourselves to Jeff Bezos or, or Zuckerberg or Musk or any of those guys. I mean, they're masters at their skill and they've been developing it for years um, where you just need to focus on where you are at and how you get from chapter two to chapter three. And now that doesn't mean you can't learn from someone like you, me, other folks out there and learn from their chapter 13. Uh, and a lot of them, they put out educational content, books, podcasts, and you just need to keep taking those steps forward. So ultimately over the years, uh, and, and I learned this early on, it was in college where it really occurred to me. I'm a, I'm a B plus student, but my, my superhuman skill isn't really just natural ability. It's perseverance that that is my superhuman scale. If I'm good at anything, it's I don't quit. So and, and it really occurred to me in college was I got into Texas A&M University um, and it, it was a provisional and it was kind of confusing to me. I didn't understand. I did. I did well in high school, but it was provisional. But a lot of my buddies got in and they got on like academic scholarships, yada, yada, yada. Well, fast forward four years later, because I graduated on time with one extra like summer session. Um, I graduated with over a 3.0. Mm. And I watched a lot of my buddies flunk out. Mm. Why is that? It came easy to them in high school. They got in. And then when things got hard, they didn't know what to do. And they didn't have the skill set, the work ethic to push through that. I did. So I had to work for my B plus in, in high school. I had to work for it in college and I didn't, don't, I love education. I didn't really enjoy traditional school, but I've had to work for that. So I think that that was ingrained into me uh, at a very young age. You just work hard. I'm not a good runner, but I did an Ironman and I knew it wouldn't. I've never ran a marathon. I'm just like, I'm going to sign up for an Ironman. I know I'll finish it. It's just one step at a time, one step at a time, continue forward progress and just don't stop. Or at least if you're going to slow down, just walk fast. <laughs> um, and ultimately, that, that was my um, strategy for completing the Ironman. I've done this with other races, but I do it with, with real estate as well. Um, I know plenty of folks who have gotten into the game and they've excelled vastly faster than me. Um, they may have unique skill sets. They may have got the right partner or whatever. Regardless of the situation, they've done really well. I'm not worried about that. Like, that's awesome. Like, congrats. Like, maybe we can partner together on deals. I know what I'm doing and I'm going to get there one step at a time. So we get this hundred million dollar fund. There are folks that I know who, who could probably fill up a hundred million dollar fund within a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care if it takes me a few months, a couple of years, like we're going to fill it up because I know what I'm doing and I know the partners that I'm working with and I know what I've done before with investors. So at the end of the day, it's just getting points on the board, continuously moving forward. Um, I mean, you can, you know, if you, if you follow sports, doesn't doesn't matter what that score is in the beginning. It matters at the end. So you can be losing the Super Bowl at halftime. It could be I don't know, uh, twenty one to seven, but you could still win twenty eight to twenty one. Um, that can happen. Um, so it's just adjust, take action, take action first, adjust, get back at it, and it's just that continuous loop. Let's take a quick break. Before we dive back into our conversation, let me share something truly transformative with you. Picture this. I've personally created wealth through real estate investing, and now I want to show you exactly how I did it. Introducing the 60-Day Deal Finder. 
the game-changing online course designed to revolutionize your approach to real estate investing. In this dynamic program, you'll learn battle-tested strategies to uncover high-yielding opportunities, insider tips on negotiating and confidently closing deals, a step-by-step roadmap to help you build your real estate empire in just 60 days. And here's the kicker. I'll be revealing the exact methods that help me create wealth through real estate. But that's not all. Enroll today and get an exclusive deal just for our podcast listeners. Use the coupon code WEALTHYAF at checkout and get 20% off your purchase. Stop dreaming and start doing. Your journey to financial freedom begins with the 60-Day Deal Finder course. Head over to martinreimastery.com. That's martinreimastery.com. And let's build wealth together. Ready, fire, aim. There you go. There you go. No, I mean, the education is important. So you do want to, I mean, you just want to be haphazardly firing out there, but you get a general idea. Mm-hmm. fire and then it's it's like the fog so when you're when you're driving in fog you can't see 10 miles ahead of you but you can you can see maybe a half a mile or a quarter mile well it's okay when you get to that quarter mile you'll be able to see another quarter mile mm-hmm. and you just you just keep doing that you don't just say well it's fog i'm not going to drive um you just maybe slow it down a little bit go as far as you can see then go further and Chris, and where did this mindset come from right because that's not natural for most human beings for most people uh, it's not natural to have that ability to think the long game, right? Just I'm going to stay. And I know that if I stay and I persevere over time, I will win. Where did you learn that? Did, did this happen? You growing up? Was this a book you read? Where did this come from? Was this from your flipping days? Where? where well, obviously not, because you wasn't, you said in high school, when you went to college, your your friends flunked out, yet you you finished, right? So where did this mindset come from? Where does this grit mindset? Yeah. Right? Where did this? Where was this birth? The, that part's hard to pinpoint. Um, I mean, my grandfather built a a business. I mean, he he's old school, like like our grandparents. Like a lot of them are old school, and uh, we have it easy compared to them. So they you know they walk to school uphill both ways, that kind of thing. But uh, I mean, he he took like 18 hours in college and then had a full-time job and studied at night and uh, yada, yada, yada. But he built a, a company. It was like 300 plus employees across multiple cities um, in, in Texas. So I observed that basically he was doing the rich dad model, like way before rich dad was ever a thing, built mm-hmm. a business and then funneled profits from the business into real estate. And he bought properties, commercial and residential and, and, and even rural like farmland all over central Texas. So I observed that. I had conversations with him. He was a big stock guy. He was always in dollar cost averaging, just continuously put it out there, automatic dividend reinvestment, find good companies. So I observed that. And then even with my parents, um, you know, they had a, a rental property. And I remember going to the rental property and cleaning up after tenants and kind of helping um uh you know do the make ready. So I remember that. I can't really pinpoint exactly where the mindset. So for everyone, it's different. Like most, a lot of people don't have that type of mindset. Um, You don't necessarily have to have an entrepreneurial mindset to have a long-term vision mindset. Um, So I don't think those are, those have to be the same. I'm definitely very entrepreneurial, but it's just understanding and and knowing that the short term, 
a mentor, an unofficial mentor of mine put it this way, and this is probably the best way I can, I can, I can summarize how you should be thinking, especially when it comes to business and, and, and investing. Always have a long-term mindset, except in the situation of cash flow problems. Because you got to solve that problem today. So that's a short-term decision. Outside of that, think long-term. As long as you're always doing that, should be okay. So think long-term. When when you do have cash flow problems, make the short-term decisions to get past that and then continue to think long-term. And uh, within real estate, that that stuck with me. That's really good advice, brother. You have a quote here um, in 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 your bio and it says, Unless you continuously build wealth and passive income, you will always be of uh, you will always be vulnerable to the market and economic shifts. Yep. Uh, I love I love that quote, man. I, it, which which is in essence what you were just talking about, right? Um, we talked about the flips and been and having that 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 cash flow. Chris, tell us about the worst deal you did. Tell us the story of the worst deal, the one you lost money, the one that you were like, holy crap, why did I do this, right? The one that took you to the brink, like, why do I do this stuff here? Why yeah. do I play this game? Tell us and, about- and this really is the worst deal. It's the one where uh, we were really going down the rabbit hole of, hey, are we building, you know, is this really what we want to build? So we had this deal on the northeast side of Houston. and. Um, uh, my, my initial projections going on, you know, memories fuzzy a little bit, but, um, we'd make around, I think 40 grand or so, uh, for a flip, um, which is a, a decent flip. It's not like a home run, but it's a pretty good deal. Um, we pitched the deal to open door. Um, cause, uh, we, we, at that time we were pitching everything just to see what they would do. And, um, we thought they gave us a low ball offer and where we'd walk away with like 10. And at the time, it usually didn't make sense. Like, well, why would I do that? I mean, I've got the team in place. We'll go in. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, we lost 70. Oh, yikes. So uh, it crazy. was weird. We, we put it on the market, ghost town, like no calls, no leads, no offers. Or, or I mean, if we had calls, it was just was nothing. And that went on for a little while. And Houston's, it was a hot market at the time. And um, this is, I think, 2018. and. Um, I couldn't really understand it. And I was looking at the comps and then I zoomed out to uh, other neighborhoods around me. And then I realized my, my neighborhood didn't flood, but other neighborhoods did. And while that can be a good thing in, in regards that, Hey, my house didn't flood, but there's an excess amount of inventory all around me that I didn't really pay attention to originally, <laughs> which is compressing uh, prices because there's ample supply. Um, so it took, I think a year, a year to get that property sold. We couldn't even rent it. Um, I, I, it right. negative cash flow. It, it was, I was still getting very little traction and it just got down to the point where I need to cut this, an, uh, this anchor off my, off my leg before it sinks me. So we walked away. That was very painful, but, um, in, in in hindsight, it, it it led us to where we are now. Where hey, look, we just why do we want to deal with that anymore? Um, Seven. You know, I, I, I mean, I wish I I wish I had taken open door on their offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in hindsight, right? What was your biggest lesson from that? What 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 was the biggest thing you learned from that through that experience? 
what what changed in your mindset and how you view deals or how you did deals? Um, I'm sure you did flips after that because you stopped in 2020, but how you underwrote your deals moving forward from that point, from that point. Yeah, on. I mean, we paid uh, greater attention to what's going on outside of our community. So if we're in a community, we can zoom out a little bit just to see what's going on. Uh, that was a slightly larger property. Um, and after that deal, I realized that, hey, look, the past few deals that didn't go well, they're all larger properties, like well over 3,000 square feet. So uh, at that point, it was just a rule. Like I'm not touching anything over 3,000 square feet unless it's just such an amazing deal that it would be stupid to say no to, um, just not even touching them anymore. Um, and uh, we we just really put the 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 grinders on marketing and 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 leaning the company in a way that would make it where it could afford to hold more assets because the problem with a flipping company is if you're holding something then your cost structure of marketing and staffing and all operations is still tied to the property and there's no income coming in outside the 100 200 300 a month that you're making um that's not sustainable at scale so we were just like look we can't do it every to every property but how can we just hold one or two or three or four a year and then um we'll just increase that over time and go from a flipping here rentals here and just slowly transition and then covid just that that was the opportunity where we could make the sharp switch and that was a painful switch you guys did it quickly man in two years i mean it's 22 it hurt no, no, it it hurt because I mean we were spending thirty grand a month in marketing, yeah. And then we had we had a team. We had two acquisition agents. We had an office manager. We had a lead intake, um, you know, virtual assistants. We had an office. So uh, there was a lot wrapped up into that. And um, to be able to now or to go to the position within a two year time period to saying, look, we're not going to bring in any more money from flips but we're going to keep the properties and we still have all this cost structure tied into them. And we have private lenders tied up into these. Yep. So we had to have conversations with um, some of the private lenders. Now um, we sold some properties. Um, and then some of the ones we kept were like, Hey, look, um, are you okay converting over into a long term? Some said, yes, that was cool. Other ones said no. So we refinanced them out. Um, but at the end of the day, like we had equity in these deals now that, we were not going to be able to pull back out until we re- refinance or, or sell. And um, it's at the end of the day, it'll still, still, still be okay. We we still own several of those properties. And um, the it's been good because we own them since prior to 2020. And the past two years have done very well um, on the, on the valuation side, but um, yeah. Outstanding. Tell us about tell us about how being a pilot. I know you you said you don't fly much these days, but how being a pilot has that impacted your real estate investing business one way or or another? Maybe um, raising more. Yeah, fast. I mean, I I can't answer it since I, since I don't I don't necessarily fly. Um, so I love aviation. It's just I've always been preoccupied with other things, and and every time I want to get back into it, I don't know. I sign up for an Ironman or whatever. Uh, so next year is um i haven't fully mapped out 2023 so I, I may put that back on the docket but in any case that there is an answer to the question it's ultimately because when you're sailing so robert kiyosaki made the book made the analogy of sailing but it's very equivalent to flying um it nothing is there's nothing straightforward about it 
Like there's so many factors that come into play. You've got, uh, you've got your, um, wind speed. You got the direction of the wind. Um, you have your, um, uh, your airspeed, you got your ground speed, uh, you have elevation changes, and then you got weather and then, uh, you got the aircraft itself. Um, and then you got weight. There's so many factors that have to go into getting from point A to point B. And those things change. A lot of them change in the, during flight, depending on where, where you're going. So you've got to be able to adjust and you've got to be able to adjust quickly. If you don't and say a storm comes in quickly uh, that, that you just weren't prepared for, then it, it could be a bad situation. And, and pilots are trained um, very well to adjust quickly. Keep your eye on the horizon and uh, be very cognizant of, um, of your environment and uh, the changing environment, always have your head on a swivel to see what's going on um, out there because you never know when traffic's coming in uh, at a certain angle that uh, if they're not paying attention, it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. If you get a mid-air collision, like you're both in trouble. So it's always your responsibility. And um, so it's just, it's very applicable to business because when you own a business, there's a whole host of different factors that come into it. Some are not your fault. Like, it's, I mean, COVID's not, it's not anyone's fault. It doesn't matter. No one, I mean, the business doesn't care if it's your fault or not. You got to deal with it and you got to get it with the, the other side. And if you don't, then it will remind you how, uh, of, uh, how, how badly you mismanage it. If that's, you know, if you mismanage it, but if you treat it well and, um, and you do what you're supposed to do and you have your head, uh, you know, kind of looking around and, and, and you're working on your business and you're not necessarily always grinding in your business, then, um, then it's, it's very lucrative or it can be, but it, it's, it's not for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So has it helped in any way, uh, being a pilot, I, I suppose it has given, uh, to give you that perspective, has it given you a different perspective in business and helped you be a better business person? Uh, well, I mean, anytime uh, you fly, there's planning involved. There's always planning involved because um, you have to look at the weather. You got to look at the uh, like like the barometric pressure, so you can tune all your instruments. So your instruments are your, like your KPIs. They'll, you would never jump in a plane and go fly it if someone like turned off all of your instruments. Well, would you really ever run a business if you didn't know your KPIs? If you didn't know your profit per deal? If you didn't know how much your leads were costing? If you didn't know the balance in your bank account? The answer to that is no. But actually, many people do that. Um, it's and ultimately that's why businesses, you know, so many businesses go out of business. Um, the same thing with flying. Like you just have to track your KPIs. So that, that's a really good analogy. It's just when you're flying or sailing or whatever, you've got certain KPIs like your airspeed, your uh, your altitude, your gas, uh, how much fuel you have. Um, and then the same thing in business, it's your cost per lead, your runway, um, and uh, how much how much profit per employee that you're bringing in. So those are those are good analogies that you can cross over. Outstanding. And my my final question before we get into the uh, the untitled round um, is how do you manage your that that partnership with your wife right how do you separate marriage from business and you guys working together um and i know for me early in my marriage it was it was we couldn't work together we've kind of found that 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 happy medium but i want to know how you how you guys do it you and jamie how do you guys 
how do you separate the two? Because a lot of uh, a lot of couples struggle with that. I know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's not easy. So in the beginning, I'm so she's not entrepreneurial, like she's traditional, and we're like. I don't know, been married for like two or three weeks and I dropped the bomb on her a lot of pay, babe. I'm going to start flipping houses again. Uh, <laughs> so that, that freaked her out, but um, she was supportive. And then we did door knocking and um, which again, that's kind of scary to her, but uh, I'm the hustler. So I'm out there door knocking and uh, we get a deal and like, okay, she gets it now. Um, and then she, you know, so she's, she's been in the business since the beginning and still is, it's just the capacity has always changed. Um, so we both worked full-time then and in 2015, uh, by 2015, we're both full-time in the business. So she stepped away from teaching after her first child and she's working in the business. And then I quit my job uh, from that first deal. Actually, that first deal, we, it was a rental. We, and when we sold it, it grossed over a hundred grand. Um, at the same time, my employer cut my pay by 50%. Mm. So it was just a good time to, to, to step away. Um, but our skill sets are completely different. So she loves working with people. Um, she's she's um, more of an extrovert, likes people, likes creative uh, design, loves making ugly things beautiful again. Like so, the house flipping was was a lot of fun. Um, so she she mainly hand managed the contractors and project management. Um, me on the other hand, I was better with sales and marketing. Um, and I'm better with spreadsheets and I'm better with, uh, you know, handling the front end, actually getting the leads in the door and, and closing them. So we worked that for a long time. Now, when, once we shut off flipping, her main job like got pretty much shut down. So she's gone back to teaching um, and she still runs our Airbnb. Uh, we still talk about things. Um, and then once I, you know, get to a certain, uh, you know, we, we start building the team out again for the, the fund. And, you know, I imagine she'll probably come back uh, and work full time in that capacity, but she still does our Airbnb. Like, I don't even know what she does with Airbnb. Uh, if, if I've told her, it's like, look, if if you ever can't do that, I'm selling that property because I I, um, <laughs> I don't have time. I don't have the patience. Like uh, I'm glad it it's a it's a it's a lake property, so I'm glad it's it's profiting because I, well, I yeah. want it. But I don't want to manage that. Um, but it's 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 been stressful at times too because again I'm entrepreneur, which which means I am very comfortable with risk and with turbulence. She's not. She's she's very accustomed to safety, stability, and there's nothing stable about being a business owner, especially yeah. with time. That's right. Like, like you, there's no 40 hour work week for a, for a small business, especially if you're a solopreneur or you're a very small team. I don't care what kind of employees you have. You're the guy in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always been me. Um, and I'm OK with that. She's not always, um, but that that's caused problems. And I've had to reflect and realize like, okay, look, I, I understand where she's coming from now. Um, and, and that's okay. She's got a greater understanding of where I come from now. And that's okay. So I've got to pull back uh, my ability, my desire to be a workaholic. Um, she gives me a little bit of tolerance when some evenings I got to grind it out or Saturday morning, I got to be on a zoom call or whatever. And, um, yeah, we, we, we find balance, but ultimately it revolves around communication and openness to, uh, to see each other's, uh, gifts 
and uh and even where where you know some flaws that that you may have or or or, or things that aren't you're not skilled at and uh figure out how you can complement each other um but I'll finish with this part as of lately, it's, it's um, I've had to have greater, um, you know, understanding that the fact that she's not entrepreneurial, certain things that I talk about, like it triggers her. Mm. And I've had, I've had to have those, uh, you know, mental notes that, well, I just need to deal with this on my own. Like, I don't have to, she doesn't, I don't have to share that. And she's okay with me not sharing that too. Um, And and I'm okay with it though. I'm okay with it. I'm not going to lose sleep over a deal that's just crushing me. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll get up the next day and I'll deal with it. Um, If I shared that with her, like she doesn't sleep at night (laughs) and I don't want to do that to her. I'm okay. Shouldering that burden. It's called emotional maturity, brother. That's what it's called, EQ, man. And that's what I think marriage does to all of us. We've been married long enough. We've been, my wife and I have been married 20 years and been together 25. And it's uh, it's that you learn to understand one another. Like you said, hey, I'm oversharing here. doesn't mean that you're not, um, that you're not communicating, but you know what triggers. You know what triggers. I never withhold. And then she asks, I tell her, it's just, I don't, I just don't introduce and especially certain times uh, like when she's winding down that's like the worst time to talk about money uh she just yeah it it gives her anxiety um but that's okay i mean that's that's just how she's wired and so if we want to have that conversation and budgeting and planning all that it's just we do that in the morning and likely on a weekend Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we're going to go into the final segment here, brother. And in this segment, it's segment is literally called untitled. Okay. Untitled, literally, it just whatever comes to your mind, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. No holds barred. You don't have to think about anything else. No explanations are needed. So let's start. You ready? Let's go for it. Ask, you're going to just shoot it. Okay, here we go. Question number one. I've always wanted to fill in the blank. Ooh, go to Fiji. I want to have a MIG. My favorite person in the entire world is. Ooh. I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't really idolize people. Um. I mean, I would say Jesus, but you said in the world, so I guess my wife. Mondays are. Uh. Mondays are fun. A million dollars. A million dollars is. Uh nothing capitalism or socialism capitalism capitalism is freedom family or money family business or friends (laughs) (laughs) that was a hard one Uh, i can't i also i'll say business um okay self-care or self-love uh those are the same trump or biden neither uh, cats or dogs? Dogs. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much for, for playing and being a great sport. If people wanted to get a hold of you and they wanted to connect with you, how do they get how do they get a hold of you, Chris? Uh my website, investedx.com. Um, it has a link to all the socials. I do a weekly newsletter, talk about things we're going on, events we're doing, um, market observations, books I'm reading. Um, but I'm all over social media. TikTok, LinkedIn, 
uh, Facebook, Instagram. So you can find me anywhere. Outstanding. Thank you so much for being here, brother. Thank you for thank you guys for listening and watching uh, Latinos in Real Estate Investing Podcast. Make sure you go check out Chris at investedx.com. Chris, thank you, brother. And it was a pleasure and an honor having you here. It was great. You thank you for sharing all of your all of your insights, your wisdom, and some of your personal stuff and your personal uh situation and your and your inner thoughts with our listeners. Thank you so much, brother. And I hope to have you back on here soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up another episode of Wealthy AF brought to you by Premier Ridge Capital, where multifamily real estate syndications meet premier success. Your future starts here. Visit us at premierridgecapital.com for more details.